Welcome to episode 697 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Rightio, John, welcome along to episode 697 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom, Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? Bevan, it's been, uh, it's episode 697 and you started with a slightly different interrupt. I said Rightio John, didn't you I? You did, I said Rightio team. team. I was wondering if anyone was going to pick up on that and you picked no, up on no, it. I'm the first. Yes, yeah. I'm very good, thanks Bevan, and you? John, I think we're probably both a bit tired. I'm a little fatigued, yeah, but that's but okay. <laughs> we'll box on. We're going to box on like bloody, not Ruiz, did you watch that fight? Ruiz? No, no, I just saw highlights. Disappointing. Yeah. You know, you win the world championship, he turns up eight kg of weight. Got a little lazy on it. Whenever in your life you want, don't want to be lazy at that, that moment. Boxing. I like a bit of heavyweight boxing. I'm kind of into it at the moment. Good. Anyway, I am talking is proudly brought to you by Extreme Endurance. Your acting buffer. And our patron. Name you, Jumbo. Christopher Little J Swain. We've got Ben Popeye Moore. And Peter Bionic Man Mills. Uh, this week's show, John, we've got some news. We've got hot topic of the week. We've got an interview. We have. We're talking to Ruth Astle. Some of you will know her as Ruth Purbrook. She was the fastest age grouper overall in Kona last year, and she's a two-time. And, and this year as well. Oh, this year. Sorry, I'm I'm, more, I'm already in 2020. Uh, this year, sorry, she was fastest age grouper. Last year, she was. She won her age group, but she wasn't fastest overall. Yeah. And did you say she was 16 minutes faster? 14 this year in her age group in her age group yep at Kona it's solid very solid it's not just solid yep that is sensational Um, pretty much that's we've got nothing guys it's quite time (laughs) that's pretty much the show Uh, but let's get through the news we did have challenge Daytona have we ever, ever had any feedback on this race I'd love to know if it's a great race. They've changed, the for, for the pros, they changed it this year, the format of it. So when you think Daytona, you're going, okay, it's going to be speed racing. And I think in the past, and I'm probably a bit wrong here, you didn't spend that much time on the track. You did a bit of, a bit of lapping, um, but not much. But this year they changed the format of the pro race. So it's not exactly Ironman distance. It's more like Olympic distance. Um, but for the pros, all they did was, all they swam um, one mile, 1.6 k's. They biked 37.5 miles. That was 15 laps of the track. And then they ran 8.2 miles, which was two laps of the track. So different format this year where you are actually, as the pros, racing on uh, on the track which would have been a fast but b i'd say probably pretty boring riding around yeah, the track well, i wonder if they enjoyed it 15 or not. times they never they never hundred thousand people here no they wouldn't have it would have been very sparse <laughs> i imagine uh but a great race because lionel sanders and pablo uh de Pana gonzalez were going shoulder to shoulder on the run and sanders was saying he was under the pump but he managed to find that slight extra gear and uh and take it out so good on him and then paula finlay um took out lucy charles barclay uh on the run so not totally surprising that she'd be able to do that and it's hard to know what sort of form lucy charles barclay I'm struggling with that surname every time I say it. Well, you're a basketball player, that's why. Yeah, um, but Paula Finlay is a former very, very good ITU athlete. Okay, can you name uh, one team that Charles Barclay paid for? Uh, he played for the Lakers for a bit, didn't he? Did he? Uh, but he was mainly the oh, Phoenix Suns, wasn't he? Yeah, it was the Suns and the 76ers, I think. Okay. 
Charles, okay, I'm going to find everyone, out. Everyone goes to the Lakers eventually, don't they? Well, yeah, well, turns out they do. Yeah, um, but I could be wrong. I'm, I don't really follow basketball very closely. So that was Challenge uh, Daytona. Um, yeah, amazingly fast speeds. Uh, so I saw on the slow twitch. Uh, no, he didn't. No, 76 is in the Suns. You and I got it right. Houston Rockets was the last team. All right. But he ne- he's one of the best players who never won a title. Okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Um, so <gasps> Will that be relative to Lucy? <laughs> yeah. Have <laughs> we yeah. seen something here, John? Uh, Arthos, I saw a comment on the slow Twitch page. Arthos from Canada, she worked, uh, she or he worked out the Lionel's performance is truly remarkable when you consider he biked close to 49 kilometers per hour and ran about 3 minute 20 per K pace. That is smoking. So good on them. Uh, uh, yeah, as much as that would be boring, if you're on that terrain. Because it would be beautiful riding on it, wouldn't it? It would be 100% aero bars. You'd yeah. get on your bike and you'd be on your aero bars. If you're for, averaging basically 50k an hour. Yeah. But it is only, it's, it is, it's only a marginally longer than an Olympic distance. Still. So, yeah. That's still smoking. That's smoking. I'm not, I'm not t- detracting from it at all. Well, you are. <laughs> <laughs> Just the sensation. So some pretty cool racing. That's pretty much the racing for this week. Oh, actually... Back there, was it, a, back it there was a race at Christchurch. It was a half Ironman on at the weekend. And it was probably the biggest race in the world this weekend, John. What happened? The Oxman half iron distance race was held just outside Christchurch, organised by yours truly. Tyrone Helliot took that out in 4 hours 17, bike 27, rode 218 and ran 128. Dojo domination. It was indeed. Uh, but the second place overall was Julia Grant. Uh, oh, was a, it? Okay. A female. So uh, obviously she went 436. She swam 30, 12. She rode a 229 and ran a 132. So pretty solid performance by Julia, given she raced a Taupo 70.3 the weekend before. Um, any other things to talk about in the results in that race? No. But I tell you, I did advertise the distances as uh, 89 Ks. Quite a few people had PBs. And I said, uh, well, it's, it, is 89, it was 89.4, and uh, I advertised it at 89. Um, but somehow my run measurement, didn't, it depends where people started their watches from. They were getting about 20.9 rather than 21.1. I was a bit annoyed about that. John, you're a Wally. Sorry? If it's 89.4, you say it's 90. Well, you don't know. How much, how, yeah, you'd round up to 90 if it was 89.4. Oh. Five or six, but not point four. No, you round on. down. How many races in the world were caught ninety? Oh, I put you're, on the medals. You're being anal for being stupid. On the medals, it had eighty nine kilometres. Uh, but I was a bit annoyed. I didn't. I think I didn't quite get the run. And the run for me, this was a straight out and back laps. Oh, so it's definitely and your fault. So it was definitely my fault. Yep. But I was only maybe a hundred or two hundred metres out. Why did you get it wrong? Well, I, I measured it on my watch. Um, it's just, I guess it depends where people start their watches from. Well, and watches can be different. Yeah. You know, mm. they can. Because often, like, I'll set up a GPS watch for our, our final run days for our runners, and you get seven people with different distances, mm. you know. And also, there was it was three laps, so there was, you know, quite a few turnarounds. So, anyway, it was pretty close. Okay. Okay. That's that was the Oxman, <laughs> uh, and I would say if you um, if you want to come down and do this race, the feedback was amazing. Uh, what was cool for me was and maybe we'll talk about this a bit later as well. Is I had to go do a, an emergency mission out on the run to get some more um, water and ice out into the aid stations, yep. and so it was a, it was a seven a seven k lap run, not a lap out and back, uh, 
and I went out there and there was there was this one straight and there was just people coming both directions. This is this is just when the half's on. We only had about 110 and a half, which was 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 a great result. I was really happy with that. But the cool thing when you got out and back, there was always people you could see. Now if you were one of the tail enders way out the back, yeah. different story. But for those that were in the middle section of the race, always somebody out there and uh yeah, it was really cool to see. Okay, uh, big news for the Olympic triathlon. We've got the start time. It's going to be happening in Tokyo, and it's going to be six thirty a.m. in the morning. And it's really understandable considering how hot it's going to be. It is. That's moved. It originally was seven thirty, and they've shifted an hour earlier. Um, and my initial thoughts were, I wonder if there's going to be many spectators at that time in the morning. But they normally sit at least for the finish area. Most Olympic events like this will sell out, so I think there'll be a lot around the finish. But I think around the rest of the course, I don't think there'll be it's that be good many for us, people John. out. I know, so it's, it's good. Yeah. So basically 10.30 in the morning. I was thinking it'd be 10.30 or 11.30. Yeah. Brilliant. Thomas was saying he's going to take the day off school. <laughs> it might be 11.30 depending on daylight savings. Exactly. But sometime around that, yeah. Oh, it's on the paratrise on a Saturday. Okay, great. Yep, that's uh, this week's news, guys. <laughs> we're definitely in the quiet time of year. So There's let's no- go to the discussion because we've got lots of comments on this one. What are you missing from triathlon for that you maybe was there in the past and John was just saying how triathlon world wasn't it yeah well that was where it sort of stemmed from last week the triathlon world was a website I used to go to I've got a whole bunch of book uh, bookmarked ones when I'm just sort of checking out the the news for the week and that was always a really Jeez, good site 79 comments John and uh and I went on there, it's still in my bookmarks, so when I was doing, uh, having a look around this week, it actually, uh, the page had changed from being completely dead to looking like it might be making a comeback, so oh. I don't know whether I've been any small part of that or not, but uh, it would be cool if it comes back. Okay, John, we've got a bit of time today, so let's spend a bit of time on this one. Uh, Richard Swan, seriously, uh, he must have put another one, Every, everything in this sport is too serious. Uh, so many low-key events have disappeared, especially due to traffic management costs. Too many athletes are too serious about training and performance. How many people paid for a training program 20 years ago? Athletes are too reliant on technology. Yes, people can train and ride 180Ks without carbon or power meters. For God's sake, we should be doing this for fun and staying healthy. Definitely some valid points there, but sport's moved on as well. It's progression. Um, But I think for a lot of these low-key races, it's because people just always want to go to the big races. Uh, and again, we've we only we're only really working off our Christchurch example, but yeah, a lot of the reasons why those small events have disappeared is because people go, oh, I'm just going to go do an Ironman branded event or a branded race, and yes, yeah, so understand your point, Swanee. Yep. Um, Ryan Kerville, definitely the mass swim starts, real chance to feel the adrenaline and the energy of everyone starting off at one time. So disappointed to enter New Zealand thinking that one of the last mass starts then to find out they've gone soft too. Self-seeding is an absolute joke. Colin uh, Balansky has got here the Three Go Triathlon magazine, beautiful layout and photos. Mm-hmm. Don't know, have you heard of that one? Steve Diodonis. Uh, Diodonis, what a great name. Crop tops on the men. I still support and rock the Speedo in non-IM events, but let's make retro great again. James Thomas, the Red Rocket, this is a good one. News agents. Have magazine shops and have in general have disappeared, and the remaining ones don't have carry triathlon magazines. Now, I was never a triathlon magazine buyer, mm-hmm. but when I was a young man, I used to go to the St. Martin shops, and this mm-hmm. is back in the day when it wasn't what it is now, mm-hmm. and I would buy a guitar mag because mm-hmm. that was the only way you could get guitar songs, so you buy guitar mm-hmm. tabs. And I used to go every week after I get my pay packet mm-hmm. and go buy a guitar magazine, and I'm sure you did that for triathlon. 
Um, well, I was probably no, not so much. Oh, the triathlon magazines—they were okay in New Zealand. I know in different parts of the world they were, um, but no, I wasn't such a magazine. Glenn Russell, person. remember Glenn Russell? Yes, the the Jersey modifier. Yeah, he gave me he gave me always triathlon magazines. Yeah, nice. Yep. There you go. Uh, there's been a few other comments there on magazines. Uh, Tom Morwood said uh, he used to love getting his hard copy of the 220 Trimag. That's a, a UK one. Um, Lynette Warren, not sure how you'd say it, but having not as many athletes on the course. Now they keep adding more and more and wonder why there's bunches on the bike. Agree with you there, Lynette. Michael Taylor's got reasonably priced races. When I started in the late 90s in the UK, you could race most weekends through spring and summer for the combined cost of an Ironman 70.3. Uh, Owen Matthews, space on the race calendar. Some larger events are now losing their atmosphere. I guess he's meaning they're just too many races. Mm, there are a lot of races. Matthew Binz has got the low-key friendly attitude that was used to be at all races. Only a few regional races carry that feel nowadays. If you're not sure what I mean, check out the vibe at the adventure race or trail running race. Both have the friendly atmosphere. It's like triathlon used to be. Um, Rob Yule also says the mass swim start in Ironman, exhilarating and scary at the same time. And I think if you do look around, you will still find there's some races that are mass start. Uh, obviously they won't be Ironman branded because I don't think there are any mass start Ironman races any longer. But if you look around at non-branded races, um, definitely half Ironman races, I think you'll find that you can find them if you look hard enough. Michael Sh Pizzle Schnizzle has got the Mecca Crowy rivalry. That was good, wasn't it? Mm -hmm, it was. Yeah, because they both had a bit of a win. Yeah. You know, it was, it was and Mecca was great for the sport. Hopefully the Frodo Brownlee thing blows up before next Kona. Yeah. Um, Arnold Silikoff decently priced race registration uh, and I think a lot of people will agree race entries are bloody expensive Just having said that having organised a half Ironman at the weekend uh, what'd you charge? <laughs> Uh, well, if you got on an early bird price, it was 195 New Zealand, um, which I th which was well below what you'd pay for a challenge race or an Ironman race. But then when you see the, ex the for me the extra work involved in a half Ironman is significantly more than a sprint and Olympic distance race. You can see where the money disappears very very Why? quickly. Why? Because of course they're bigger. Course are bigger, traffic management's more, just lots of little things like um, drink bottles. You know, you just got to have nutrition on yep. you know, most other races. I just do water. It does all add up. It doesn't add up to the thousand dollars that you pay for, for an Ironman entry. Yep. Um, but one thing that, that I find is, you know, you get to a point where you can't rely on volunteers and you've got to start paying people to yeah, do stuff. Yeah. And that's why these events cost so much. Yes, I, we, I know they still make lots of profit, but you come to a point where you can't keep asking people, can you help me out with this? Can you help me out with that? You need to go, we need to have this number of paid people and that's why the prices are so expensive. Jeff the Explosion Curry has got decent goodie bags and quality finisher t-shirts. Uh, too much cheap crap or even nothing at all these days. And the mess does it, I mean. Um, I'm just going to make a comment on that. Is I'm going the opposite direction with goodie bags, and I'm trying to put just about nothing in them because it's a, it makes your entry fee go up. It's generally a lot of rubbish in there that you're going to throw out anyway. It's just a lot of promo normally. Promo crap. Yeah. Um, so I'm kind of going to try to be going in the opposite direction and doing but, less but, and less. But, but it's the expectation, but, but, isn't it? But that's the thing. I know. That is the expectation, and people love getting their free stuff. Yeah. But... Uh, yeah, I'm just going to start heading in the other direction. Okay, JT Gurkle, uh, Gurkit, has got um, soft ride bikes and spinach wheels. They were pretty cool. Yeah. 
And that, that's, it's been quite an interesting transition with the old soft ride. So if you haven't seen the soft rides before, it's kind of like the, pretty similar to the diamond bikes you see around now. And so they were around, I remember Greg Welsh, I'm pretty sure he won his Ironman in 1993. It was either 93 or 91. No, it was 93. 93 or 94. I think it was 94, wasn't it? It might have been 94. Yeah. Um, but he, I'm pretty sure he did that on a soft ride bike. And then, um, I'm not sure how long after that they were around for, and then they just disappeared. And why? Um, were they not that good? I don't know. How many bike frames have we seen? What, what, you always go on about the Kyoto example yeah. um, with Norman Sadler, and that, who, who rides a Kyoto now? I mean, it's a brand that's still around. Uh, I think pros probably stopped riding them, maybe. Maybe there was a, they weren't Did you ever ride one? No, no, I mean, there were, there were very few and Malini far between. Had one. Malini had one. He had, it wasn't a soft ride. He had... A similar concept. Similar concept. Um, so maybe the quality wasn't great and the pros went, oh, I'm not going to do that. And as soon as the pros stopped riding them, business is all over. Is it, yeah, enough to have ridden one because they were that bouncy. But, but now, they come, now they're back in, in, in... Vogue. Back in Vogue again. So you've got the, the Cervelo version of it, which is slightly different, and then you've got the Diamond version, and there's probably a few others that I don't know the about. The only real bike brands that have survived, Specialized... They've survived the best of time. Yes. So Velo's done pretty well. So Velo's has done well. Jesus, there's so many brands these days. So yeah, but like so when you many. think of, like I was talking about, so we're talking. About, um, my friend went up to you too, mm-hmm. and we we're saying what bands from the eighties can tour like you two can still tour. You know, mm-hmm. like you, like Joe and I went to a concert at Hackley Park last year with like Toto and stuff like that. But it was a pretty small concert, but like you two, and it's probably just you two. Right. And then we were going to the nineties, and we probably got nineties. You got Foo Fighters, Chili Peppers, and so on. Well, like when you look at that as bikes. Cervelo mm. survived. Uh, Cannondale is still around, but m- no, m- not, not in a big way. Yeah, they're, they're still around. Um, but yeah, this Cervelo hasn't been around that long though. Oh, they've been around probably twenty years now. Uh, don't know about that. Be fifteen at max. Okay, okay. Because it was around when we started when I was riding. Yeah. Okay. Because I remember Brian Rose was sponsored by them, and yeah, yeah. Who are the big Time. players right now? If you're buying a bike right now, who do you, other than Cube, obviously? Uh, Canyon, I'd say, and, and again, they've just got such. Good, good position because they're sponsoring the top athletes, and uh, I'd say Canyon is probably right up there. Cube is obviously fantastic. Oh, of course, John Love Newsom. my cubes. Had, uh, them, had my cubes out measuring the bike distance. There's one thing I do at races now: put my two cubes in the like the finishing chute, saying that's 12 meters. Looks pretty square. Yeah, it's cubed. That's um, right. Mark Dixon's got here. Legends of Triathlon. What happened to those two blokes? Yeah, I know. <laughs> God, I'm coming back in 2020 if yeah. I've got anything to do with it. And lastly, Peter Colson, race singlets. Did you ever do the the, high, the crop top? Hell yeah. That's where it was, that was in vogue when I was there. I had my Tinley one. Oh, I, wish I, I wish I was around those times because I had good abs when I was young. I'd never, I've never had abs. Oh, uh, Peter Wheatley did Ironman WA. Welcome to country, to Ironman family. Past night, safety talk, all gone. Event was cheapened by not having this. The hugeness of Ironman recogni- recognition. What, what, what did they not have? The function. Um, he said, did Ironman, I, I think these are the things that weren't there. Welcome ceremony um, to, uh, to the Ironman family. Pass tonight. Safety talk, all gone. Event was cheapened by not having this. The hugeness of Ironman recognition of personal effort and Ironman movies and duff duff hype. Absent. Sad. It became just a race and not extra special. Even as a veteran racer, the impact was noticeable. So yeah, I get that. It's Does, does New Zealand have cover party still? Uh, last time I was up there they did uh, but that's the thing Iron Man is on all the time now it's not quite as special as what it used to be and yeah. it's really hard for them to to recognise this is a massive deal for some people 
Um, but then for a lot of people, it is just another, it's another race. It's important and they don't want all that stuff. But I, I agree with you there, Peter. Got to be careful that sort of line where you're, you're sort of walking down with all those little extras. Well, especially because the price doesn't go down. Mm. Like the carbon loading party would have cost them a lot of money. Mm. Absolutely, it would have. Although one race, I can't remember when this was, they had a race where you got vouchers to local restaurants. And that was definitely races in Australia. Yeah, and that was genius, wasn't it? Well, but it takes away that whole pasta party sort of vibe. Yeah, it's double-edged sword, isn't it? Because it does lose that, but then it's really good for the local region, which is really mm-hmm. good for the race. Mm-hmm. Um, John, what about you? Um, what are you missing? I agree with a lot of people that in this is missing those races where there's not thousands of people on the course and you're not going into it and thinking, you know, when I go into a race now, I'm thinking, right, I need a really strong strategy here of not getting busted for drafting. Not that I'm I'm going in there intending to cheat, but that's a big part of my race plan and and I don't like that, that I've got to, that's got to be my sort of go-to strategy on the bike. How can I get through this bike without getting a penalty? Uh, And it didn't used to be like that. So I'm going to say that's my number one thing. Mass starts, um, I will now intentionally go out of my way to choose races um, that are are mass starts. If I can, uh, you know, if I've got a choice, obviously I go to events like Kona 70.3, and they do a rolling mass start. I'm not happy about it, but if I'm there anyway, I'm not going to veto the race. It's great outside of that. Um, Rote has always been sort of wave, not always, but as wave starts. Um, but yeah, if I had a choice, well, I do have a choice, I'll be trying to choose races where there's not thousands of people on the course and uh, and hopefully have a mass start. Those would be the things I'd love to, to bring back. I know it's not, we've discussed to death why that's not necessarily realistic in a lot of cases, but that's what I would like. I miss the characters, to be honest. I miss Macca mm-hmm. yeah. as a racer. Mm-hmm. You know, like he, he was controversial. We brought Dave Scott. I wasn't really around Dave Scott time, but you knew mm-hmm. he was, you know, laid out there. Um, I, I do think our sport has always struggled for characters. Um, and we've definitely got some right now, but, you know, look at how desperately we want Brownlee and Frodo to hate each other. I absolutely agree. But back in the Macca time, I wonder if, you know, there was he, there was just a few characters around at the same time. Now, you know, I think Frodo's pretty. He's a good character. Um, Brownie. I, I wonder if you if we got Torsten do the statistical analysis here of how many characters are there now versus the world. Well, the only Mac good one right now is, is Sanders. Sanders, yeah. yeah. Sanders is the only real good one. Mm-hmm. Sanders and Keenley, mm-hmm. but they're not like like Mecca was great. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mecca just brought a dynamic to the sport that, like, we, don't get me wrong. I love the racing we've got right now. I think it's very interesting. But Mecca would just put it out there, mm. you know, and he'd just say shit that would get everyone rolled up and, yeah. you know, and just like, like that's so good for the sport. Um, so, yeah, I do miss that. Uh, what else do I miss? Um, not much, John. Not much? I never bought magazines. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's about it. That's about Very it. good. We're going to discuss it. It'll be a few weeks before we go into it. But what was your triathlon highlight for the year? Either a performance or some aspect of the sport, not your own achievement. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I was saying because I know everybody will go on and write their own things so I was more from a viewing perspective we don't care how well you did we do but that's not the question uh, so when from a from an observer's point of view the highlight for you either a performance or, or something related to sport okay. not, not your own performance let's do sponsor John sponsor extreme endurance your lactic buffer so I had a bit of a big day on Saturday oh, tell Sunday. me about it John so it was, it was race organising for this half Ironman and uh it's fair to say that I hadn't been a lot of sleep during the week and on race evening as well, the, the night before, I think I got to, I made myself get to bed at about 10 and then 
knew I, I'd, I'd sort of set my alarm for four, but knowing that I'm pretty positive I'm going to be getting up before then. Uh, I wasn't really sleeping. Because you're just thinking too much, eh? Just too much shit to go on. And I was just a little bit behind the game in terms of a few little things that I wanted to get done. And... And I knew I wasn't sleeping. And I was like, oh, what time is it? And then I knew I wasn't sleeping. Eventually, clicked my phone to see what time it was. It was 1.30. And Thomas, I was on a bunk bed with Thomas, which didn't help. Did you, did you stay out there? We stayed at the race site. And so whenever he moved, the bunk moved. And uh, <laughs> and I was like, man, you move a lot. And uh, I had my phone to see what time it was. And it was 1.30. And Thomas from Rugby said, what time is it, Dad? So it's 1.30. <laughs> and I wasn't getting sleep. So at 2 o'clock, I thought, I'm going to get up. Got up and I thought, geez, I feel pretty ropey here. I think I'm right on edge of getting uh, really sick and I really don't want to get sick. Uh, and Alan and Vicky Bryson, listeners of the show, were staying up the road. They'd come down from Nelson and they'd just handed them some extreme endurance the day before. They'd ordered some for, for summer. I knew they had some immune boost and I didn't have any with me. So you stole your immune boost? So I sent them an email at uh, about 2.20 in the morning saying, uh, if you happen to get this before the race, can you bring down uh, four tablets of immune boost, please, and I'll uh, pay you back. And they did bring that down, the four tablets of immune boost, and I'm not sick. And I felt a hell of a lot better because I was right on the edge of getting sick. And I just think it's, for me, whenever I get to that situation, uh, I just start pumping it. And it doesn't, not 100% guaranteed, but didn't get sick. And it's happened a number of times. So just having it on hand for those sort of instances, or if you're going through a really heavy period uh, of training, immune boost will get you out of your hole. And uh, if it's something you've caught off the kids, no, nah, you're a bit stuffed. But if you if it's a fatigue-related uh, or nutrition-related... Yeah. If you, can see, if you can see it coming, and fatigue, like if you're doing your big block training, mm. or you know, and you're a bit susceptible to being sick anyway, or you're training through winter, it's those types of times, isn't it? Mm. So xendurance.com, uh, keep yourself nice and healthy, check out the immune boost. Okay, John, we've got an interview coming up, uh, tell me all about John. So we're having a chat here to Ruth Astle, uh, if you've seen results, if you're a GB follower, she has absolutely crushed it at um, at. Ironman distance over the last few years, winning Kona age group twice, winning overall this year, just been, and uh, so we thought we'd find out a bit more about her. I didn't know anything about her beforehand, other than a couple of race results, so here comes Ruth. Here she is. Okay guys, um, it's time for a bit of an age group beast who's recently um, changed her hand to racing in the pro division, Ruth Astle, some of you will know her as Ruth Purbrook, she's won her age group in Kona two times um, and she's also won the age group uh, overall race in Kona, um, last year I think it was by about 14 minutes she won her age group, so Ooh. pretty bloody impressive That's in impressive Kona. in Kona. Yeah, so welcome along to the show Ruth. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, now, a lot of people always want to know athletes' backgrounds. You know, sometimes we talk to, you know, top age groupers and they've either been former top professional swimmers or, you know, really top um, in one of the individual sports. Maybe just give us a bit of your background before triathlon came into your life. Uh, it definitely wasn't a professional swimmer, <laughs> as you'll <laughs> tell if you look at any of my swim times. Um, yeah, so I... I guess I like, was always quite active and sporty as a kid. Uh, like I'm one of four children, so it was always quite kind of competitive and my parents were quite active. So I think they encouraged us to kind of try any kind of sport we wanted. Um, and I mainly was playing field hockey uh, throughout school and throughout uni. Um, yeah, again, it was never really that good uh, I just ran around quite a lot so I managed to get into some <laughs> I managed to get into some reasonable teams just because 
um you know they liked people that could run around quite a lot um but yeah I had zero skills um hand-eye coordination is also not <laughs> not one of my strengths um <laughs> so yeah so mainly hockey um and then like, I did little bits of kind of cross country um again mainly because I quite enjoyed some of the more uh kind of endurance stuff that quite a lot of people at school didn't like as much so I tended to be the one that got roped into doing some of the longer running stuff um and then kind of got a little bit into cycling sort of post uni I had quite a few cousins that were keen cyclists so kind of did a few little trips with them um but nothing really that serious. So it was only when I did my first triathlon that I kind of thought, actually, this is quite fun um, and let's kind of get a bit more involved. Cool. And where, whereabouts are you from and, and where are you living now? Uh, so I'm currently living in London. Um, I grew up in Essex, which is quite close to London. Um, and I went to university in Exeter, which is kind of southwest England. Very good. Um, so tell us a bit about your, your first sort of uh, foray into, into triathlon and, and maybe a bit about your sort of progression to where you're at now. Yeah, so I actually, um, the first triathlon I did was at the end of 2013. Um, I was actually, I was training for Berlin Marathon at the time and I was pretty bored of just running. And um, the team that I was working for at the time had some places for the London Triathlon for charity and sort of said, do you want to give it a go? Um, so I sort of said, yeah, let's let's just try it. Um, should be quite fun. And yeah, kind of really enjoyed the triathlon. I did sort of reasonably well um, and thought this might be quite a nice way of having something a little bit competitive that I can still be involved in. Because I think that was probably the one thing I missed uh, from when I left uni and started work in London of having that kind of uh, regular competitive activity to sort of take part in um, so I joined my local tri club uh, which is called Full on Tri and just kind of got really stuck in from there like I think the first year I just did lots of kind of uh, sprint and Olympic distance triathlons uh, mainly through kind of people who had entered races and got injured and then had race entries that I could sort of pick up and <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> which is kind of ideal um and then kind of gradually got a bit more involved in um in that kind of Olympic distance and then started hearing more about kind of being able to represent the country and go and do some of the age group racing for GB which I thought you know that sounds amazing it'd be really cool to be able to represent the country um so then looked a bit more into how I could do that so I, I kind of I started seriously looking at doing that probably would have been 2015 um because I'd obviously missed out on entering any of the races in 2014 seeing as they all seemed to sell out so early mm. it's probably the one bad thing about triathlon um so yeah so I kind of progressed to that I went out and I did um the Chicago uh championships and I think that mm. kind of showed me that I was never really going to be fast enough at that Olympic distance uh to be as competitive as I wanted to be um I think the girls that won uh in my age group at that point were running like 36 minute 10ks and I was you know I, I couldn't really see myself getting there mm. um so decided to go up the distance uh, and actually the first longer distance I did was the Alp d'Huez triathlon okay, which nice. is amazing yeah uh obviously you know why not just pick a nice easy one yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I really enjoyed that um and kind of thought well actually you know endurance seems to be my thing let's 
give sort of middle distance a bit more of a go. Um, and I sort of started hearing people talk a bit about Kona and thought, you know, I definitely want to do that at some point, but an Ironman still seems pretty, pretty ridiculous at that point. Um, so yeah, so kind of spent a couple of years doing middle distance and then did my first Ironman in 2017. So kind of gradually, well, gradually ish kind of built up to, to that Ironman distance. And early on, did you think that you could, did you always think you were going to get to the level you're at now? Or was it, was it early signs or did you, were you kind of just kind of just enjoying the sport and thinking, oh, you know, this is cool. And then eventually you wake up and you go, shit, I'm doing okay at this. Um, I think I always wanted to be this competitive. Like, I think, had you asked me right in the beginning, do you think that you can go and win your age group from Kona? Like, I probably, I wouldn't necessarily have believed I could at that point. Um, but I think I always would have been trying to do that. Like, I think one of the things uh, that it's kind of shown me just sort of doing triathlon, which I didn't really have during school sports because I was never really the best at anything, um, is that, you know, like winning is actually like really fun. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I think like, I always would have been trying to do that. Um, but, yeah, I don't necessarily – when I started, I definitely didn't think, oh, I'm going to be really good at this. So uh, I, was def- I definitely was someone that has had to work like pretty hard to, to get good. So um, we, we know you're just sort of switching over to do some pro racing now, but often you know we get questions from age groupers, you know, how the hell do these top guys make it work? So um, we know you work um, working full time. Uh, how did you make training work, and how did you fit it all in around uh, work and life? Yeah, I mean it's definitely a question I've been asked quite a lot. Um, mm. So like I have been doing a pretty full on job in the city in banking. Um, so like, I have generally for like the last sort of two three years been working about 60 hours a week on average so it's been quite like quite intense work-wise um and I think also London is probably not necessarily the kind of easiest place to train so um but I think like for me I found that um like generally you just have to be really organized uh, I know that sounds a bit like ridiculous but mm. you know if you can lay all your kit out the night before so it's all ready you've basically got no excuse to not just get up and go um I think I'm also quite lucky in that I'm definitely a morning person so like I don't mind waking up really early um and just kind of getting my important session done because I think like quite often I will have two training sessions a day um but it's like if, if I could at least get like say the hard session done then if say work gets in the way and I have to bump the next session it's not as big a deal um what what time's early also, for, what time's early for you uh 4 30 a.m yeah yeah cool. standard um, standard <laughs> <laughs> yeah easy but then like that's where things like Zwift just like make it so much easier to get up and train because it's like there's always other people on and so like you never feel like it's just you doing it um so that's like that's definitely helped and I think things like the fact that the workouts that my coach sets me just go straight onto Zwift and I just have to get on and pedal like that really helps um so say like Zwift has, has made life much easier for the kind of turbo sessions and then like, I've been trying to do uh, sort of more kind of meeting up with people to go swimming I think like swimming is definitely the one that I struggle with um, in terms of fitting it in because I've had to like with the job that I've been doing for the last year and a half um, I usually have to be in the office by 7am so I can't really get to a pool before work and <laughs> the the motivation to go swimming after work is definitely much harder for me to, to kind of sum it up <laughs> um, so I've tried where possible to try and like either meet 
a particular person or try and get to some like club sessions um and that's helped a little bit um but yeah again the, the, the swim has been a struggle for me but I think generally speaking it's like either if I can find people to train with because then it's like I can kind of combine my social side with training because mm. I think you know obviously with quite an intense job and then trying to do you know sort of 15 to 20 hours of training a week it's not really much time for um for socializing uh so yeah try and do my sort of long social ride at the weekend or like go to the club run on a Sunday because then like, I get to sort of chat and have coffee afterwards um yeah so it's kind of I think like I've generally found uh, and I, like, obviously I go through like waves of it being like quite intense training and work and then obviously there are periods where it calms down a bit and I try and make sure in those periods like I make the most of being able to be more social see my family a bit more um, so yeah so it's not kind of always intense all of the time. One thing that's interesting looking at your Ironman results is that you're very consistent at delivering you know you've hit this progression your first race Sorry, your first race was obviously just getting it done. But from then on forward, you pretty much got faster or consistently delivered it at a certain level the whole time. Why do you feel you're so good at delivering on the day? Um, I think a lot of it is, uh, I think just like mentally, I'm quite good when I know I've done the work. So I think like I've always found I'm not someone who gets really nervous before races. Uh, I think part of that's because I also love racing. So it's kind of, I'm not really that nervous to be on the start line. I'm really excited and I kind of just want to get racing. So I think that definitely helps. Um, and then, yeah, I think, you know, like my coach gives me a good racing strategy that I generally tend to stick to. Um, that also helps. And I think it's, again, it's just being able to have that confidence. That if you've done the training, actually, you know, you should be able to deliver the result that you think you can. Uh and, you know, it's an Ironman, it's a really long day, just don't panic and just keep going. So I think that's the other thing. I think some people hit a bit of a dark patch and they think, like, the world's ending or their whole race is over. Um, so actually, you know, like, you're going to get a dark patch. It's, you know, like a sort of nine, ten hour race. So um, you just got to kind of, like, ride through it and try and get out the other end. But, yeah, I think most of it is just, I actually just love the racing. So it's just fun to be out there and be sort of doing my thing. And so it's so kind of last year, you know, you win the, the females race overall, which is uh, awesome. Did the race go perfectly for you? And maybe just talk us through how the race unfolded. Yeah, I think it did go pretty much perfectly, actually. Um, I think like the thing I was mostly worried about was the, the swim. Um, I'd kind of broken my collarbone, what would it have been, about 11 weeks before Kona. So I hadn't really been able to do that much swimming. Um <laughs> Yeah, it was <laughs> not yeah. ideal. Um, yeah. So, so like that was what I was most worried about because I knew that um, the swim was my weakness anyway. Uh, but actually, I had a really good swim. I actually took like two and a half minutes off my time the year before. So, okay, well, <laughs> um, not not entirely sure. But anyway, so I sort of came <laughs> out and was like, that was <laughs> that was really good. <laughs> um, and then yeah, onto the bike, I actually. So I had kind of certain, I obviously had the power that I was trying to stick to, but I also knew that one of my Zwift teammates, um, who's a really good swimmer and also a strong biker, I kind of had it in my mind, that if I can catch her before the turnaround, I know that she'll be up near the front of the race. So then that'll be my marker on kind of how well I'm going. Um, unfortunately, it was like a little bit windier than the year before, because I think like for me, with the bike being my strength, it's kind of, I sort of needed the wind. I think where I got uh where I got kind of overtaken 
by the other two because I was third overall age grouper the year before um and like the two ladies that overtook me were just sort of pure runners and because they managed to kind of keep their legs fresh you know relatively fresh on the bike because it wasn't so windy so I was kind of I was praying for for wind and we did have some wind so that was good um so yeah and like the bike it was like I kind of I felt pretty good but I was also trying consciously not to go out too hard um and coming up to the turnaround point by that point I'd passed my teammates so I, was like, I feel like I should be in a in a reasonable position um and also like the other marker I was going off was uh whether I was kind of getting overtaken and like by that point I hadn't been overtaken by uh like by anyone not even any of the the men so I was like okay I think this is going quite well um <laughs> and then on the way back I managed to uh I actually caught a guy from my um from my club who was out there racing who um you know I kind of knew had started like 20 minutes before me um so kind of catching him I was like you know he's a pretty decent athlete so I was like well if I've caught him I must be having a like a really good bike um Mm -hmm. (laughs) so yeah and then it was just kind of keeping it going keeping really aero um so yeah bike all felt really good and then coming onto the run Again, like the run is probably where I was sort of slightly more nervous because I think that those kind of Kona conditions, it's obviously that's where it can all fall apart. You can feel really good going down a leaky drive and then just explode. Um, and I kind of set off and I was like, I was trying really, really hard to not go off too hard. Failed miserably. Because um, <laughs> I think, you know, there's, you've obviously been out on your own for so long on the bike and then suddenly you get back to the crowds and they're all cheering and it's really nice and you're just happy to be off the bike anyway. Um, and one of my friends was kind of 2K into the run. And and by this point, I also like, I knew that I was leading, um, but someone had given me a split that I only had a minute and a half coming into uh coming into t2 so I was a bit like well I can't really hang about here but I saw this friend at like 2k in and she was like first of all she was like you need to slow down like you're running you're running far too fast mm. um but she also said oh you've got a 10 minute lead oh, wow. on the girl in second um so yeah so at that point I was like okay like, I can try and chill out a little bit but um yeah so the whole Alihi drive bit yeah definitely was going probably a little bit too fast um but also thought maybe I can then bank a bit of time uh anyway and then getting out to the queen k again i felt really good probably up until about maybe about 33k when i just started getting a little bit tired um just just a little bit just, just a little, little bit, bit. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh and actually i had this like little niggle in my knee um it kind of wasn't anything bad but it's just like i could kind of feel something and was like it's not perfect um but at that point actually i bumped into someone um a guy that I sort of vaguely know through my coach um, and he kind of said, oh, let's sort of run together a little bit. So we kind of kept swapping kind of who was in front and like helped pace each other a bit. Um, and he basically got me through that last, uh, the last sort of 9K because that then just took my mind off having tired legs or anything like that. And then any time that I tried to sort of walk through the aid station a bit, he kept telling me to, <laughs> to kind of get on with it and hurry up. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so he got me through that last bit. Um, and by that point, I knew that the other girls weren't really catching me. So I could kind of, as long as I kept going forward, I could just, you know, kind of get there and, and get it done. So, yeah, I think all in all probably is the kind of, best all-round performance I've had at an Ironman um so yeah like generally the day went really well 
And so you've you've now um, switched over and taken up your your pro license. What was your mm. your motivation to do that? Um, because you know when we look at the the kind of results, you had an amazing race. It was wicked. But when you look at the pro results, I think uh, this is off the top of my head, I think you maybe you were seventeenth. So you know going to Kona, you're going to have to improve quite a bit to sort of break in to get any any money there. Um, but at other Ironmans around the world, I'm sure you'd be very competitive. So what's your sort of motivation to switch over to racing pro? Um, so it's something I've been thinking about a little bit over the last couple of years, just in terms of like, would I want to and that kind of thing. And I think like the main motivation is actually, I feel like I've kind of done everything at the age group level now. Mm. Um, and whilst, like, as I said, like winning is really fun. <laughs> um, I'm not going to deny that. And I think, you know, there is every risk that I go pro and maybe I won't enjoy it that much because I'm not going to be at the front of the race. But I think, it's also like for me the other thing that I've enjoyed with triathlon is just it's the generally just seeing how good can I get and I think me like stepping up to pro is then that next kind of as to how good am I how much can I keep improving where else can I get better and I think I think my other thought as well is you know if I can get these kind of results on like five six hours sleep a night and you know working full-time etc then actually if I if I'm able to to dial back work uh, and get in that extra like sleep and recovery and maybe a couple more swims to sort my swim out um, then actually I think there's probably some really big improvements that I can see so yeah I think I probably feel that I can get to a point of being um, you know like a top 10 Kona finisher you know in the next maybe few years but mm. I think yeah given I think it's mainly that how much better can I get I think I still feel that I've only really scraped the surface of kind of how good I can be so that's probably the main motivation um just in terms of planning for your pro sort of life how is that going and how are you going to sort of sustain yourself um no I'm sure you know that pro prize money is pretty lean uh, and, <laughs> yeah. and you're probably coming from a place where you're probably earning like good money and working a London banking job um, how much of a change is that going to be and, and how are you setting yourself up to be able to make that transition yeah so it is a massive change um, but I think because I've been thinking about it for a little while um, I've kind of saved a fair amount so I've got that buffer um, and I've also like rather than going like straight into being completely full time, like I've actually I'm just dialing work down to still doing one day a week. So I should still have like a little bit of base income to help cover um, sort of basic costs and um, make it not too bad. Um, so, yeah, there's that. And then I've also I've managed to get a couple of sponsors on board who um, not necessarily really giving much cash at the moment but you know there's potential to get some sort of podium bonuses and things like that so I think all in all I kind of knew for sort of next year um I'm not expecting that I will really be making any money at all but I think I'd quite like to be in a place where it's like at least I haven't lost any money um Mm -hmm. and I think with the kind of savings I've put aside like that that should help. Um, and then I'll be able to use some, some of that extra time as well to explore, you know, are there other things that I can do that kind of 
help bring in a bit of income but are compatible with getting that extra training and recovery in just just it's interesting because if you lived a life that's kind of like moment you've woken up is sport and work really and it's interesting how you talk about social with you know fitting social in around training but now if anything you're probably going to be a little bit more time rich so what do you think mm -hmm. that could do for you both in a good way and a bad way um I mean, I'm I'm gonna have to find ways of filling time. Uh, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not very good at not doing very much. Um, but I think like there's lots of different things that I can then sort of look at and and think about. So I think, you know, there's a there's things about what else can I do that can actually help sort of a make me a bit more attractive to sponsors and and b potentially get some different income streams. So there's like a few things that that I've been thinking about um, that I'll have the time to kind of explore um and then also i think yeah definitely that social side uh and particularly i think you know spending a bit more time with some of my family like my older sister's just had her second baby um so you know i'll actually be able to go and spend a bit more time with with them um so yes yeah, so i think it's a uh, yes I, like part of me is a bit worried about um <laughs> what i'm going to do with all that time i think then that's the other bonus of having just um just gone down to one day a week with work so it's like actually it would be quite easy to ramp that back up to say two days or, or three days if I if you know if I'm really struggling with um not having that much to do <laughs> mm. I'm sure they won't mind if I want to come and do a bit more so Auntie Ruth the babysitter you better yeah. just be careful because yeah. that's a that's a slippery, <laughs> slippery slope to get on <laughs> mm, yeah that's um, true. <laughs> so what's what's uh, WA um going into that race um what were your expectations and and did it differ at all compared to what you um thought of how it might pan out given it was um you're racing professionally and and the race vibe and any pressures was it any different to a normal Ironman um so I think in terms of like expectations to be honest I was just quite keen to go and get my first pro race done where there wasn't really much pressure like I kind of thought and like, I felt quite good post Kona so I kind of thought well, well I've still got that fitness why not let's go give it a go um I also like came back to the British winter and was like I'd actually quite like a bit more sunshine so <laughs> mm. um that was another motivation of, of kind of going out um so yeah so expectation wise didn't really have any expectations to be honest like I'd obviously spoken to quite a few people I know um who have made that transition from age grouper to pro about what it's like and what some of the things to to sort of be aware of um and yeah I think like I knew the swim was going to be tough I think again like that is my weakness um I actually I had a really bad swim for me which was a bit annoying because actually all my swimming has been going quite well up to this point so I'm not really sure what happened it just for whatever reason on the day it didn't come together so I lost the pack that I was with uh probably after about a k so I spent then like the rest of the swim on my own um so that was very different because I think obviously with um with the kind of age group swim it's like that I'm always around other people so actually being completely on my own until the last little bit where some of the age group men caught me which was also quite demoralizing um <laughs> <laughs> was uh yeah like that that was quite strange and actually I spent most of that swim just like actually having quite a mental battle about oh god like it's already you know the, the whole day has already started really badly you know I was hoping to come out in the pack or at least with you know a couple of other girls um 
so I actually had to spend most of the swim just trying to tell myself that um <laughs> that, it, that it wasn't all over it's a long day and you know just kind of enjoy it whilst I can um and I also made the mistake if I hadn't really wreckied where the swim course came out um so coming in I basically I swam too far and kind of swam almost like up to the jetty as opposed to sort of cutting in so I sort of lost a bit more time there as well so that was yeah pretty frustrating um although I did meet my one goal which was not to be the last woman out of the water so there was one (laughs) there was was one lady behind me and that made me feel marginally better um and then I'd made another rookie error uh on the bike um so I came out of T1 and basically my whole back wheel was jammed and so I sort of a I almost fell off which was really embarrassing because it was like on the corner where all the crowds were (laughs) um so then and then I was trying to fiddle around and trying to work out kind of why it was jammed and and what gone wrong um it turns out that I'd put the wrong tire on my disc wheel and so then there wasn't enough clearance for it so it's basically like jammed on my hydration system at the back um I mean you know again as I said rookie error uh definitely not used to having to sort all my bike stuff out completely on my own so that's um yeah. a, le- a learning for next time um so I had to like let a bit of air out and that you know I was faffing around for ages which was very frustrating then I managed to kind of get out and like it wasn't perfect I still had my back wheel like rubbing a little bit but that kind of settled after maybe like 40 or 50k um and actually then I was getting really into it and like, really enjoying it. Like it's a really nice course. Um, and with all the out and backs that like, you could see, like I could see a lot of the other girls quite a lot. So that was quite nice because I could kind of get a marker on like where I was, who I was catching. And um, so I caught quite a few girls, probably by like 60K. Um, and yeah, I was kind of just really enjoying it, getting into it. And then with 30K to go, my back wheel sort of went like sort of said it punctured but I think it was more because of having to have let air out I think it just lost its seal a bit um Mm. so that was annoying uh so (laughs) sort of managed to get gas into it and get it back up um because I kind of thought with only 30k to go like I'm not going to try and change it or anything so I should just be able to to keep it going um that lasted for another 15k and then with 15k to go it went completely flat and obviously I then had no gas uh so I rode it <laughs> so then I was I had to ride the last 15k in on the rim oh, my um just <laughs> yeah. just and like that was like the, then the really fast bit back in so I mean I lost so much time on that bit um and also nearly fell off quite a few times because obviously <laughs> like <laughs> cornering on the rim is um not yeah. not very fun so yeah by this point I was just like oh for god's sake like this is like really frustrating just as I was kind of getting into it and actually making up um some time sort of then just lost a load of time uh but yeah again it was like well legs are still feeling quite good let's just see what happens on the on the run um because again like running's been going really well and I was like you know I'm gonna try and see if I can get like a pb um and yeah set off first couple laps on the run amazing uh felt really good was on track for like a really good marathon um and then on the third lap, that knee niggle that I talked about in Kona just like mm. came back and it kind of yeah, it came back worse. And basically I felt like my knee was about to collapse. So I kind of had to stop a little bit, stretch it out a bit, walk a little bit. Um, and then sort of just about managed to get going. But kind of I spent a good part of that third lap <laughs> kind of considering, can I pull out? Uh, mm. <laughs> you know, do, yeah. do I feel like this is a good enough excuse? Um 
and basically was like absolutely not like, i can't dnf my first pro race like that yeah. you know i was kind of yeah. I, I knew that i wouldn't really be able to <laughs> to live with myself if i did that so um yeah i managed to kind of get running again and then it kind of eased up a bit and um yeah kind of actually finished all right but yeah so i think <laughs> obviously lots of frustrations from that first race but then what made me feel kind of better about it was well you know I still had a like a reasonable performance like definitely wasn't anything to sort of write home about but given everything that happened I was like well that's kind of given me the confidence that actually you know next year if I can not make those silly mistakes and sort my swim out a bit then actually I feel that I can be reasonably competitive um yeah so overall really good experience and like really loved it as a as a course and also as a place to sort of visit around the race as well wicked oh no we'll look forward to seeing what you can do in the next 12 months we'll be yeah we'll be tracking you all the way um <laughs> anything you're involved in that you wanted to promote or, or get out there whether it be any sponsor stuff or or anything you uh, and if people want to follow you how can they follow you uh, yeah, so to follow me, um, you can find me on sort of Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Um, if you just search for Ruth Astle, that should that should find me. Um, and then, yeah, I'm still kind of sorting out sponsors for next year, so mm. I won't <laughs> I won't yeah. talk about them too much because I'm still sort of finalising that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Watch the Instagram, um, and yeah, I'm also about to um, I'm about to sort of publish my website again so again that will have links to kind of sponsors etc cool yeah awesome well thanks so much for your time and thanks uh for your performances they've been awesome and uh, i'm sure they inspire a lot of people especially when you've come from you know a pure sort of age group background rather than really high performance in one of the individual sports so all the very best for uh for 2020 and, and the years beyond brilliant thanks very much awesome thank you for your time jumbo your thoughts you can just picture Ruth, can't you? She's that bloody energizer bunny who would not be able to sit still. Yep. And I reckon a real if you're a training partner of her, I bet she's a real hard ass yep. and would just cane herself all the time. Yep. That's what that's the impression I got from her. Well, the one thing about her is just she's so consistent in performance. Mm. You know, like because so many people struggle to hit it on the day. You, you've got the person who never hits it. Then you've got people who kind of come and go, and then you get someone like Ruth, which is pretty rare. Because if you look at her results, she's pretty much hit you know growth or of par every time she's raced an Ironman and it's that's pretty stellar it's going to be I love seeing these stories to see how much of a gain she can get by having all those extra things um, in place in terms of sleep we've seen some athletes succeed in these situations some athletes have not got any faster yeah yeah, some some, some it's actually detrimental yes um, you'd kind of think you're probably going to get quicker. She might, maybe she won't get any quicker on the bike because she's in a weapon on the bike. But you'd think with a bit of extra swim training, bit of extra sleep, bit of recovery, being able to touch on all the little things like flexibility, etc. You've got to think there's got to be some growth there. It's just whether or not, I suppose, you can keep occupied enough and stimulated enough and always on the go uh, to, to make it all happen. So I'm really interested to see how she goes. Okay, John, we've got Wanger of the Week. And I'm going to say number 25. Well, I'm going to veto you there, Bevan. Oh, John. Yeah. It's my job. Yeah, I know it is. But I thought today is the last of the year. Last of the year, 19, So you give it to number one, are you? No, I'm go- well, I'm going to go one and number 19 because it's 
19 is okay, it's my birthday, I'll take that. Yep. So uh, in 19th place with 15 hours and 25 minutes, he did Hawaii this year and he's not obviously easing up, was George Gray. Uh, he did 2 hours 58 minutes of swimming, 8 hours and 9 minutes of biking and 4 hours and 17 minutes of running. Well, John, what's even better, we can look at his activities for the year since it's the last one, 747 Ks of... That must be just distance. He's done 35 hours. Uh, that's not. Oh, that's for December. Haven't got his year here. Sorry. There you go. I want his year. I think if you scroll down the bottom, you can year? probably year. You scroll down the bottom, you can find his year. Okay, I'll see if I can find that. Um, so George is from. I know he's from the UK. I've forgotten where George is from. I think it's Farm Farnborough, maybe. Could be wrong there. Uh, so he's got a nice little spike there in July in training when he came on Epic Camp France. And his estimated best times for a 1K is still, he's got me by one second, two minutes and 13 seconds. 1K, uh, 1K. 1K? It can't be right. Surely not, because it says to me two minutes 14. I'd be pretty happy if I managed to pull out a two minute 14. I've got him in the half marathon. Yeah, I think he's doing the old bike 1K trick. I think, well, I must have done that trick as yeah. well. Someone pulled me up on that the other day. I left it on the car and then drove You left it on the car? <laughs> when I left it in, I must have turned on and I had some amazing case slits in there. And Strava does pull up those results. It says, we're not displaying this. And I went on there and deleted it. I've done a tenth of running his distance this year. Mm-hmm. So in Strava, I've done 295 kilometres. Mm-hmm. He's done 2,960. Uh, 2, nice. So. <laughs> Very good. So George Gray was in 19th place, um, but I did want to give a bit of love to, to first place as well. I mean, my page reloads. It uh, was... Jay Waters, wasn't it? Jay Waters, uh, because it looks like he's doing uh, a length of New Zealand on a mountain bike. Oh, really? He had 31 hours and 31 minutes uh, last week. Started up in Cape Reinga and rode along the... Um, rode along 90 Mile Beach, um, which is a big, long beach and uh and that's from the top of the top of the north island and he's just making his way through doing some big hours k's aren't that big because you're on a mountain bike but he looks like he's taking the scenic uh route and it's uh, good luck jay i don't know how long it's going to take you but he's making good progress he's on day today is day six and he's made it to auckland that's nice wow six days to get to auckland that's gonna that's gonna be a good least a month to get the whole length of New Zealand. Okay, John, I've got one question and answer. Questions and answers. And it's from Murray Lapworth. You can get this Holy one. Hammer? Yep, the Holy Hammer. It's got race directors. Hi, Bevan. Uh, it would be good if you could make a big deal of how much they do to the point of embarrassing you, John. <laughs> You're pretty easy to embarrass. Um, I'm sure most athletes, they have not got a clue of how much is involved. I know John got 1.5 hours sleep. Actually, you got about three. Wow, you didn't really sleep at all, did you? Not really. No. Yeah. Uh, on site on Saturday night uh, at 2 a.m. before completing, completely setting up, largely done on Saturday morning. Uh, after working all week on it and possibly the previous week, after months of planning and organising, that is partly because there are at least 10 distinct races, not differentiating teams and individuals, that requires multiple logistics. Aid stations for long courses are far more onerous than short courses. There were well over 50 people required to make this event happen. I was the run course director, which was an 11-hour day door-to-door. That would have been longer if I didn't have to pick up Maria from the airport. John will still <laughs> be dealing with the van full of equipment today, are you? I finished last night. Oh, well done. Well done. I'm proud of you. <laughs> well, no, my garage, no. Everything's in my garage. It's unloaded and we get, we're making progress. Okay. Uh, it would be fantastic if whenever an athlete is not completed, injured, uh, competing, sorry, injured or otherwise, or after retirement, they volunteer or assist at a race. 
couldn't echo those comments more about the volunteering and I'm sending an email out to to all our local club members and stuff is I just don't think the message is quite getting through <laughs> that if, if, again if I talk about the local example I'm, I enjoy and I'm happy putting on races but getting the marshals is a nightmare um, and so I pay groups and I've said this a number of times before and they're okay for standing on corners but only just some of the, some of them are fantastic but some people um, they're just there and, and not, not particularly yeah, they engaged they yeah. don't get it um, but those positions around transition you cock that up and and I had an example at the weekend where, yeah, where, where they just gave somebody the wrong instructions and, oh, no. and, it, and it was only it was fairly minor but it's like wasn't supposed to work like that and if you have triathletes in those positions like aid stations like the transition area like mount dismount uh it will make everybody's race a lot more uh enjoyable and people have just got to start giving back and if it's an iron man branded race you think oh i mean they just need to pay for all that stuff but just you've just got to start giving back because that there will come a point where i go screw this no you know even if i can make some money out of this it's just getting too hard and and the same thing will happen you know the, the quality of races in your area will go down so the challenge is you just got to volunteer once a year once a year well, to race the 10% rule yeah well what's 10% the well, 10% of your time you go give it back yeah oh absolutely See, time you take from sport yeah get back because this is just some troopers like Murray you know did a fantastic job with the the run director's role and really I should have had probably three run directors almost you know him doing the overall sort of a bit and then another one for aid stations another one for for something else um but yeah for the challenge he had because with these events you have all these different ones involved as well so we had a we had um we had a half Ironman we had like a roughly a sprint distance race and we had a junior race but within all of those, uh, and we had a, a 7K run option and a 21K run option. But within all those sort of tri races, there was a duathlon as well. And their runs were shorter on the first run. So, for example, the junior race, they ran 1K, bike 12K, ran 3K. The mini race ran 3K on their first run, 7K on their second one. But they started at the same time as a half marathon. So they're running along with the half marathon athletes and they're turning around and you've got to make sure that the half marathon athletes don't turn around at the same spot. Yeah. And so Murray and um, Mary Claire Dalhunty, they were trying to juggle all these people and it worked out fine, but geez, you need to read those need instructions. Some to be there, eh? If I'd given that to just a random marshal, they would have just gone, I've got no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. I've got no idea. Now so, just looking at the results from the, uh, from the Oxman, uh, grinding the fillinator. Grinding the fillinator. <laughs> so, so was that the grinder and the fillinator? It was plus one other. So the grinder had entered the race uh, as an individual, and she got managed to get a stress fracture. Uh, oh, okay. And so she, she could only bike. She she, she was going then going to do the aqua bike. Yep. Uh, well, she didn't know it was a stress fracture until just before the race, and so she was going to do the aqua bike because she couldn't run. I said that's fine, and then she sends an email um, during the week. I'm not allowed to bike either. Oh, said, bugger. Oh, okay, bugger. So why don't you... And then, and then she just, I said, well, Phil has entered the individual as well, the Philinator, and he didn't He was, didn't have the fitness to do the race. I said, why don't you team up with Phil? You do the swim bike, Phil can do the run. And then she said, no, I can't do the bike either. And so we found her a biker as well. Yep. And... Uh, and so it was the Philinator and the Grinders together. So and grinding they, the Philinator, that might go down as one of the greatest team names of all time. I know, I came up with it too. Oh, did you? Yeah. You I said, you're not getting an option, that's your team name. 
<laughs> and then there was a picture of Phil crossing the finish line. He did the run leg, and uh, they'd, they'd got the numbers, she, her, her individual number, because she'd registered, and you get the names printed on it. So he yep. crossed the finish line, and he had uh, Christine written on his number. Oh, it's sensational. So, no, it was a big weekend, and a special, also a couple of other big uh, thanks to Paul Howells and Lee Davidson. Uh, Paul was epic with his help. Really? Uh, well, they're and, lovely, those two are, aren't they? Yeah, and then Mel um, from Try and Z uh, also came down, and she was epic with her help as well. So, those people made my life, made, basically made the race happen without them, would have been uh, a bit of a schmozzle. Oh, thank you very much to those two. Okay, John, we've got a new patron. We have. David Richards. That's a great name. I like a, I like a double first name name. Yeah, good. You know, David Richards. <laughs> you know, I, I love it. And I've met David Richards. He came on uh, our Kona camp uh, uh, the year before last, I think it was. And he was, the, I think he was the last to arrive. Was, he maybe arrived late on the Friday night. So we sort of start with a dinner on Friday night. And I'm, I'm almost positive he arrived after dinner. And I had a little schmozzle with the rooming. Somebody had been put in the wrong room, and the, and so he didn't have a bed in that particular unit. And so I said, "Oh, for tonight, just come in and share share in my room." And I had a, a small room with two single beds. And uh, David's a tall, pretty tall timber, yeah. solid, not as in a uh, fatty or anything just like a that. Big just unit. a big unit. unit. <laughs> and he got this bed, and it was a tiny single bed. His feet were like, his legs were like hanging over the end. I sorted it out the next day. Uh, so he came over, and he's a so David's a British fella. He's living in the, living in the USA and balancing parenthood, work, and triathlon as much as possible. Enjoying triathlon and still trying to get faster at fifty. Trying to enjoy the process and about to change the philosophy of my training away from pure triathlon specifics and into more strength training and focusing on indoor training to become uh, to balance time, family, and aging. So there we go. I had a couple of options here. Well, you probably know more than me, but where you go. So the first one was just from a, a nickname generator, Dream Boy. don't know if that really stuck for me. Yeah. Um, what about the Dream Unit? The Dream Unit, we could go with that. But the other one, whether we, I was whether we honour Star Wars, the last movie coming out this week. Have you got your ticket? I'm not. I'm not sure. We're going up to Kaiteri on the day, uh, the day after it comes out. So I don't know if we'll see it until New Year's Day. Oh, you can't be. do that. Spoiler alert. Well, we're going to be in Kaiteri. What kind no, of father no. are you? Well, I know. So I was whether we. Wait, you're going the day after it comes out? No, we'll be lucky if we get there before Christmas. No, no. When do you go? When do you go to Kaiteri? It comes out on the 19th, doesn't when it? When do you go to Kaiteri? The 20th. Well, why aren't you going on the 19th? I've got to, I've got, I've got to, I'm, I'm not opening my computer on this Christmas holiday. I've got to get everything done. So whether or not we go with David with uh, Chewbacca or the Sabre, as in lightsaber, yeah. or we go the Dream Boy unit. No, just the Dream unit. The Dream unit. Yeah, I reckon that's good. Okay. Yep. The Dream unit. You can't go with Chewbacca. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing. The, the, the reason that's kind of, he doesn't even hear. He's, he's got the old shaved oh, head. So I was thinking he's got no hair on his body. We'll call him Chewbacca. No, the Dream unit. The dream unit. If you want to become a patron of I Am Talk, go to www.iamtalk.me. Click on the link to the patronage page. Donate a little bit of money to the show, or, or lots of money if yeah. you want. Um, and you become a patron. You support us and what us do. You get a cool nickname like the Dream Unit. Also, you're going to draw to come to the Kona of the Boys next year. And ultimately, you're just supporting this show each week. Uh, also, if you want to get show email to you, you can just go to the same website down the bottom of the front page, put your information in. For coaching, go to coachjohnnewson.com. Check out my podcast, bevanjamesos.com. Other content such as age group of the week, cool websites and other stuff. You can just email us at imtalkpodcast.gmail.com. John, your goss. I think I've shared most of it. My week revolved around uh, organising this race, which was, which was all good. If you're in New Zealand listening, check it out. It's going to be coming back next year. And... Just had, I love the vibe we had. It was like 
hopefully I felt like it was mostly organized. There was still lots of things I could have got right, um, but also relaxed. It was cool because we had lots of farmers racing because it was a rural event and the farmers really got into it and it had this really nice uh, atmosphere, wicked location um, and uh, just a nice good fair course they got buffeted with the wind they got caned apparently some directions it was just you weren't moving and then the the nice way people finish who's the rookie now with all their uh, phones going off it's not my phone my phone's out it's not my phone it's another sound but i don't know anyway what i was saying is uh lots of pbs out there and the big part of that was because the last uh 15 k's was slightly downhill with a strong tailwind so you came off the bike having been absolutely humming on a high and probably you know power and if it was a little bit lower because you had that strong tailwind behind you so check it out oxman.co.nz it'll be on next year it's going to be a little bit earlier i think it's going to be the 13th of december i think i put a date up so check it out other than that uh, if you want to get yourself a christmas present Check out Epic Camp uh, Kona. I've got plenty of spaces for that. So come on over for Kona next year. If you're getting sick of your winter already, if you're in the States or in the UK, come over to Kona. Awesome race, awesome camp. Bevan is just looking around his house trying oh, to figure okay, out what the what sound is. is. Oh, oh, well. Bevan, what's happening in your world? You're all sort of Christmas? Uh, I've got to get Joe's present, but I know I'm getting so he's got to go get it. Right. So that's easy. Um, had our work Christmas too. Oh, yep. Yeah. Any shenanigans? You said it last week. You were saying there's going to be shenanigans. Well, the, the, I think there would have been after we left. Yeah. Because we left and it's on priority. Because it started at four. That's a big day. And they put a lot of money on the bar. Mm. And the thing is, the people were very drunk, John. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you know, do you get drunk high? Uh Probably. Yeah, you know, the heavy eyes. Or the, or the well, big, uh, yeah, I'm not sure where you're going with drunk eye when you... Well, no, just like, you know, you know some people get really heavy yeah. eyes. Yeah. Well, when they said 10 minutes ago, those people went and got like 10 drinks each. Right. They did not need 10 more drinks. Right. And it did feel like a bit of a father saying, do you really need more? Uh-huh. But we left, we left about eight. And they... And they <laughs> it's pretty early departure time. <laughs> eight, <nine. laughs> Started at four, John. Fair enough. Started at four. But some of them went through to four in the morning. Oh, now, I don't know what gossip happened. I'm sure there was. But I did find out there's a lot of gossip at my gym that I didn't know about. Right. There's a lot more shagging than I thought okay. was. Because po- I, I thought my gym was all pretty innocent. Yeah. Turns out there's, a, there's a quite a bit of shagging happening at my gym. Right. Yeah, okay. So I was, I was quite Let's fascinated. Stay out of that game, baby. Well, I'm a married man, John. Yeah. I was a ma- but I love gossip. Do you love gossip? Uh, yeah. Whatever you love the gossip. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I was pretty happy because a lady I worked with called Natasha. I'm naming uh, names here. Yeah. Oh, no, no, she's not. She's, <laughs> she's, no, she's not she's, a shagger. She's not a shagger. No, she's in a happy relationship with Essie. But, um, but she just she just spent half an hour telling me all the goss. Right. And then you could see as people were getting drunk, all the all the situation, like someone's shagging someone else, but then another girl's hitting on that person on the night. And you could just see that the, the, the problems evolve in front oh of you, John. Gosh. And I was loving it. Serious Because I love some good goss. So that was good. And then... That's about it, John. Just looking for. You know what I'm looking forward to? A holiday, sleep-ins. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. I don't like sleep-ins, but I'm looking forward to having some sleep. <laughs> yeah, but, but like you know, like for us to sleep in seven o'clock. Oh, it's pretty rare that I make seven. Oh no, I will make seven. Yeah, yeah, yep. Or what I'll do, like on a Friday sleeping day, what I'll do is I'll get up at five thirty at breakfast, go back to bed, get out bed eight. Right. Yeah, but I need sleep, John. Mm. You need sleep. I look at you. Sleep. You look so tired. You look, yeah, you look terrible. You look horrendous. <laughs> so bring on the sleeping season. Anyway, John, let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm Linda. Train hard. Train smart. Kick hard.